morning, it is our, our privilege to have uh, with us Brother Brian Treadway. Uh, Brother Brian works with David Wood Ministries. Uh, he just really recently started with us ministry. He had been a pastor for many years, and, uh, and now God led him to go into this ministry. Uh, David Wood Ministries is a ministry that teaches different uh, uh, churches and different ministries. They go around to different churches around the country and uh, give sessions on how to uh, witness to someone, how to share the gospel with someone. And it's a ministry that's been a blessing to many churches really all around our country. And, uh, and Brother Brian has just joined that ministry and will be uh, taking it forward and uh, be please be be praying for him he's an evangelist now as he does that but brother brian is someone i just really recently met uh, about uh, i don't know maybe 30 35 minutes ago i've heard of him uh but first time i meet him in person and uh, his his oldest son he is a father of nine he told me nine children his oldest just graduated from west coast which is the best college all around, all right. That's where I graduate. In case you're wondering why I'm saying that, uh, but uh, it, it's it's just great to have Brother Brian with us. And I know that uh, the message that God has laid on his heart is going to be something that is for us today. And so I'm going to ask Brother Brian if you would come on up and uh, share with us whatever the Lord has laid on your heart this morning. God bless you, brother. Amen. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 37 this morning. And while you're turning there. I do appreciate uh, you being here, and as, as your pastor said, just got to meet him and met Brother Mendoza for the first time yesterday, the connection. Uh, I've uh, been a pastor for many years, 20 plus years, and, and uh, I wasn't discouraged, down, depressed, or defeated, or disqualified when I stepped down. Just uh, through COVID, the Lord made it plain that our ministry at the church, I thought I'd be there the rest of my life. Hardest decision I ever made was to walk away from our church. We had a great church and had built it from just a few people, and, and uh, like the pastor said, I've got nine children. You don't just make quick decisions with nine children and the cost it takes to raise nine children, three in college, and I had to help my parents out as well, uh, elderly parents, and long and short, when the Lord said step down, I said, God, we're, you know, we've got the best crowd we've had, and finances are good, church is good, they take great care of us, and but this is what the Lord, uh, in fact, when I first stepped away, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. He just said, I want you to trust me, step out by faith, and I'll let you know what to do after that. But um, as a pastor, Brother Willette and I, R.B. Willette, who preaches here regularly, and I were very close friends. I preached for Brother Willette about four times a year. He preached for me at least twice a year. And uh, so when I stepped down from pastoring, our, our young people and their young people did, though we were 10 hours away, we did camp together. Uh, they come to our Youth Spectacular every year that Brother Kenny Baldwin preached, and, and they were part of it. And so there was a big connection there. And so when I stepped down from pastoring, I knew where we wanted our membership. So we're actually members of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. And Brother Willette stepped down about two years ago. Brother J.D. Howes, the pastor, great man, one of my closest friends ever, and just uh, loves the Lord. Our church has just done great. And so Brother Willette and I went from pastoring to both of us being evangelists out of the same church. So that was kind of interesting. And when he found out he was going to be in the area... He said, uh, you need to get a hold of Brother Mendoza. He said, I'm going to get a hold of Brother Mendoza. You need to be in that church. And so that's kind of how we got connected. But I do thank you for uh, your attentive ear in advance. And I am working with Brother David Wood in a soul-winning ministry. And I guess if there's a statement that would describe what we do is we train and equip preachers worldwide in soul-winning and church planning. That's what we do. That's the, the, that's the main thing with our ministry. We don't get sidetracked. Everything we do is centered around that. 
We've got an office, just what God's doing in India right now through our witness project. That's the international division of our ministry. And uh, right now, we're focusing on the United States this year more than we have because if we're going to see our churches rebound, we need soul winning, Sunday school, and promotion. Amen. That's what it's going to take. The same things that's worked for years. But our uh, international division, uh, just in India alone, we've got an office in every state, all 36 states of India. And just last year, through the director and through the preachers we trained and the people we've helped, we've seen over 1,900 churches started in the country of India. Now, that may not do much for you, but that excites me. In Kenya, uh, we've got a director, Brother Peter, that takes care of all of Africa for us. And uh, just in, in Africa in the last year, hundreds of churches were just kind of getting that Africa division going. Literally hundreds of churches have been planted through Operation Go and Soul Winning through our ministry in, in the country of Africa, in the Philippines. I'm going to tell you, if there's ever a revival going on anywhere right now, it's going on in the Philippines. The devil's trying to shut it down. They just locked all the churches back again and said they couldn't have service, but a great work. We've started many churches, thousands of churches in the Philippines through uh, our international division. Uh, Lord willing, when things open up, Brother Wood and I was actually supposed to be in India right now, and that got shut down. We'll be in Africa, Lord willing, uh, in August. Uh, I've got an opening in Dubai to come and help a group start a church and, and train some preachers and get in Dubai, start churches in Dubai and all over. So I ask you to pray for us, and I do not take a salary from that ministry. I'll have to raise support and uh, provide for my family. And you say, well, how are you living if you stepped away from a, from a pastor's salary to nothing? That's a good question. All I know is God's been faithful, and we've not done without. Amen. So if you'd pray for us, I'd appreciate it. Genesis chapter number 37, we all know the story of Joseph. I'm going to pick up reading in verse number 31. And just to get us up to this part where we're on the, the same page, uh, Joseph has had two dreams, and his brothers don't like the dream, and and his daddy don't like the dream, but it don't change the fact that he has the dreams. And, and he's the favorite of, of the, he's the favored son. He gets a coat of many colors. The brothers don't like that. Well, Jacob sends Joseph to look, see how his brothers are doing. And you know the story. His brothers say, you know what? We need to kill him. And Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. And he did that till he could figure out what to do with Joseph. Well, Reuben's away, and while he's away, some traders come, some slave traders come, and, and uh, the brothers say, you know what, let's, let's sell him. Let's make a profit. If we just kill him, we ain't going to get nothing. So let's, let's sell our brother to these slave traders, and they do. And he winds up, well, you know the story, Joseph winds up in Egypt. Well, now Reuben comes back and says, now what are we going to do? So the brothers, we're going to pick up in verse number 30. Reuben returns, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? Verse 31, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
I'll give you my title here in a minute once I lay the foundation. And y'all just pray I can switch back to preaching in English the last eight messages. I've had an interrupter, I mean an interpreter. And so uh, getting to preach in English is really enjoyable for me today. Hopefully I won't pause every sentence on what I'm saying. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then I'll jump right into the message. Father, I love you. And Lord, I'm so thankful. What a privilege to be. I've heard of this work and this church and what a privilege to stand in this pulpit Thank you for how you've used Brother Mendoza all these years and then what you're doing in this church and his son uh, uh, and, and just the transition that's taking place and all that's going on. But God, we need you this morning. Thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the spirit of worship. And God, we need you. I'm a man and Lord, without your power and your presence, nothing of any eternal value will be accomplished. I've not come to be seen or heard. I've come to deliver your message I don't want to just fill a spot. They've got great preaching here. So help me to say something that would change someone's life. And then God, no doubt, in a crowd this size, someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray before they leave this building, Lord, that they will have trusted you and be saved by the grace of God. Use me, anoint me, and help me now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to notice just jumping straight into... Uh, my message this morning, just three quick points. First of all, I find a promise that was made here in this chapter. In verse number, at the beginning of chapter 37, Joseph, we learn, is 17 years old. And God gives him two dreams, one with sheaves bowing down and another with the sun and the moon and the stars making obeisance to him. And, and in both of those dreams, what God is saying is, Joseph, I'm giving you a promise. And that promise is there's coming a day that you are going to be ruler over your family. I'm sure he had no idea the scope of his rulership. Remember, when we read the Bible, we have the privilege of knowing the end of the book of Genesis. We know how this story turns out the minute we read Genesis chapter 37. But I want to remind you in Genesis 37, as a 17-year-old young man, Joseph gets the dream. He believes the promise. He believes what God tells him, but he has no clue what's going to be involved to get there. Can I tell you, can I just stop and say this ain't the message, but God is going to give dreams. We ought to all have dreams. I think preachers ought to have dreams for their church and visions. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And that's not just for ministry. I think a daddy ought to have dream and vision for his family and for his children and a husband for his marriage and his wife and a pastor for a church and, and a minister for his ministry. But uh, can I tell you that, that many times there's going to be things come along that's going to try to deter those dreams or you may think that dream's never going to come about. But if God gives us a promise, my point is we can bank on the promise. Amen. God gives Joseph a promise. And, and before you know it, Joseph's now in a pit. He's going to be sold into slavery. He's going to be accused wrongly by Potiphar's wife. And he's going to wind up in a prison forgotten about. And I'm sure there's times that Joseph looked at his life and said, God, you made this promise. How is this going to come about? But what I'm interested in this morning is not necessarily in Joseph's belief of the promise. But look at verse number 11 of our text. The Bible said, uh, after he tells these dreams... His brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. In other words, his father took notice. His father said, you know what? I've never seen Joseph say or do anything that made me question. If I could put it in terms that we would understand, Jacob believes the promise and the dreams that's been given to Joseph. Now let's fast forward. By the way, God gives us promises, does he not? 
Everyone in here, if you've been saved any length of time, you should have some promises that you're clinging to. God's Bible is full of promises. He promises that the Lord's coming back. Have we forgot about that? He's coming. Amen. Say when? I don't know. Bible said in the last days there'll be scoffers. Amen. That would say, how you say, what's a scoffer? That's someone that's dumb on purpose. Amen. And uh, the, a scoffer says, well, you've been saying it for years. It ain't happened yet. Doesn't change the fact God promised he is coming back. I don't know when it could be today. It could not be. It could be maybe beyond my lifetime, but I don't believe there's anything from keeping him from coming back today. May I say God gives us a promise that the church, the gates of hell, will not prevail against the church. I still believe that promise. God promises that there's nothing going on in your life or mine that he's not in control of or in charge of. Has it ever occurred to you nothing ever occurred to God? Nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing's caught God off guard. We look at our life and we say, God, how could you? Listen to, listen to this statement, please. I've said it for years. And if we would let our theology affect how we think, we could live the victorious Christian life that we just heard sung about. That Listen, nothing in your life is happening that God didn't either offer or allow. He either started it or he's letting it happen. Now, preacher, that ain't true. What if I sin? You think your sin caught God by surprise? Did he want you to sin? Absolutely not. But did he know you were going to sin? Absolutely yes. Did he allow that to happen? Absolutely yes. Can you prove that? Oh, I got so many stories. I, biblically, I could prove it. But let's just go to the very first one, the first mention principle. God knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. How do you know that? Because Jesus Christ wasn't the lamb slain after Adam and Eve messed up. He was a slam dead, so lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew before Adam ever messed up and Eve ever messed up what was going to happen. It did not alter or affect God's plan at all. I'm saying this morning that God has given us some promises in this book. But may I say, even more personally, God has given you promises, has he not? When I started wrestling with leaving the ministry, the hardest decision, I've been in ministry almost 30 years. I've been in full-time ministry 28 years. And I'm going to tell you the hardest decision. I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. I've had guns put to my head. I've had my life threatened. They threatened to do all kinds of things to my wife. Uh, they, they threatened to take my two-year-old boy's head and cut it off in front of me. I, I could tell you story after story. Uh, listen, I'm just saying I've, I've had all kinds of decisions to make in my ministry. The hardest thing I ever did was last year at the end of March when the Lord said very plainly when things slowed down, our church was, uh, had a great church and we had ministries running left and right and I preached a lot out, uh, away from the church church and had a Christian school and had RU and had master clubs and, and had jail visits and nursing home visits and church visits and on and on I could go. And when, when COVID hit and everything just kind of stopped and I went from going 15 to 17 to 18 hours a day to literally being at home, I was like a cage lion. But in that time, the Lord started, started to spend more time. I told my family, I said, we're not going to waste this opportunity. We're going to spend more time as a family. We're going to pray more. We're going to read more. We're going to do fun things too. And, but we're going, to try to, we're going to try to redeem the time as a family. God started dealing with my heart and made it plain. My time at Emmanuel Baptist Church was done. I wasn't arguing with God, but I said, God, we're shut down anyway. We're on live stream. I'm not telling a church I'm leaving in live stream, so I got time to pray and fast and make sure that this is exactly me and my family all believe it's God's will. And during that time, I, I, I mean, I had a good salary. The church took good care of me. I knew when I stepped down, I was going to have no salary, no promise of a dollar coming in, no savings. I've got, I, I don't, if y'all remember, I got nine children. 
where these gray hairs come from. I'm not as old as I look. <clears throat> and I get accused of my wife being my daughter instead of my wife. Thank God she's had all nine of them, but she's still, uh, still the most beautiful woman I know of in the world. Amen. And, and I'm just saying that, that I said, Lord, I've got these kids and, and I love our church and I love what I'm doing. And you want me to step down and through that, my wife and I would pray and, and God would give us verses and verses. And God gave me verses. I'm going to take care of you. God gave her verses. I'm going to take care of you. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Because at that time I didn't know I was going to be working with Brother Wood. And I worked with him as a pastor. And, and I said, God, God said, your ministry's not over. You're not done. You're not being punished. I said, it feels like I am. But and God gave me promises. Uh, when my first son was born, God gave me some promises. When uh, our little girl that is now uh, nine years old, I believe Lydia, is, she may be 10. Y'all forgive me. I said, I got nine kids, right? I have to put their birthdays on a list. I've got the first and the second member. I wanted two kids. My wife wanted eight, seven, eight. I forget how many. You see who won that battle. Amen. She pretty much wins most of them. And, uh, uh, but my point is, is that uh, Lydia, when she, uh, we've got a, we haven't uh, had an above ground pool and, uh, you know, privacy for us to be able to swim as a family. And, and she snuck out one day and just as a two-year-old, I think she's around two. Next thing you know, she's in the pool. No one hears, no one sees. And when my wife finally finds her, she's floating in the pool, blue, dead. And I remember getting on my knees saying, God, you got to do something. EMS saying she ain't going to live. And if some, they had to rush her 40 miles away to a, a children's hospital. And they said, she's got so much, she'll have so much brain damage. She's no way she lives. And if somehow she lives, she'll be a vegetable all her life. But somewhere in my heart, as I prayed, I'm not telling you God to do this all the time. But for me, God said, she's going to be okay. Just trust me. She's going to be okay. Just trust me. In the ambulance, watching that little girl struggle in my heart, God said, just be, trust me. She's going to be okay. I had a son about dying. Papua New Guinea. He was born there. The oldest one that just graduated from, or going to be graduating from West Coast and in his fourth year. And, 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 and I said, and God, uh, he got malaria at two weeks old. We'd never seen a kid live, you know, a child live with malaria. And yet God said, I didn't have a promise when they said he's not going to make it and he's got malaria and he's going to die. And I had no promise from God, but God spared him. But with that little girl, God said, she's going to be okay. I did. Everything was working against me. The team of doctors that the head of the the head of the, the nice wongers children's ward said she's going to have brain damage but God said she's going to be okay I'm jumping ahead but can I tell you the next day that little girl went from ICU to walking out of the hospital singing Jesus loves me or some hymn I don't remember what she's singing she's been singing ever since and um, and not a scratch on her and she's not afraid of water and there's no damage and there's no problems and and she just performed in our big Christmas play that the adults did and and did a fabulous job I'm just saying that I promise you that if you serve God any length of time, God has given you some promises. What promises are you hanging on to? Now, I'm a southern preacher. Y'all probably are used to more dignified, educated, <laughs> eloquent speakers, okay? I'm just a southern preacher. Uh, that's a splash zone. The pastor and his family's in it, so I'm staying up here, okay? To, you don't want to offend the pastor. Amen. And so, my, my point, I'm just trying to, you know, by the way, if y'all say amen, it won't scare me. I won't think we're in a Pentecostal church, okay? I believe God's people ought to say amen. And it's all right to raise your hand in preaching just like it is during singing, amen? It's all right to get excited about God. And I'm just saying that, that God gives us promises. I've got promises I'm hanging on to for my children, for my marriage, for my ministry. Verses that God's given me that's personalized. And God's going to give you some promises and no doubt has. 
But I want you to watch what happens. Not only do I see a promise made in our text, I see a proof that was manipulated. A proof that was manipulated. Now watch. Joseph's brother said, okay, we've sold him. Now we got a problem. So they took his coat off of him, ripped it. And they killed a goat and took the blood of the goat, put it on the coat. And notice the Bible said in our text that I read, they send it to daddy. Cowards. They didn't even take it themselves. And when Jacob gets the coat, notice they don't give him a story. They don't concoct a story or a plan or try to tell him what happens. They just take that coat, shred it some, put blood on it, and then hand it or have it sent to Jacob. Now you're Jacob. You're looking at your coat, your son's coat that he wore all the time because it was a coat of many colors, a special coat. And there's blood all over it. What's the natural assumption? He's dead. Not only is he dead, the brothers never say a word. They allow Jacob to presume some things that wasn't true. Not only is my son dead, Jacob said he's been torn. He's been shredded by some wild beast. The brothers never said that. All they did was give Jacob a bloody coat and then let his mind run wild. Can I tell you the devil's a liar? And can I tell you what he does to every one of us? He wants us to assume a lot of things that are not true. The devil wants to destroy your belief in the promises of God. So he hands us a bloody coat. He don't have to say anything else. And he lets us presume. I've watched it through the years. If you've been in a church any length of time, you've seen it. I've had people leave our church over presumed problems. There was no problem, but they assumed there was a problem or presumed there was a problem. The devil was able to get them out of church. I've seen people break up friendships, not because there was a problem, because they assumed there was a problem over the way someone looked, over what was said or something else. I'm just saying on and on I could go. Listen, the devil hands Jacob a blood coat and said that all he has to do is hand it to him cast it before him and I no doubt listen Jacob's life literally, literally kind of ends right here we don't hear nothing else from him it, the story goes silent it picks up with Joseph and what's going on with Joseph and for the next several years all Jacob has is a bloody coat but I want to remind you before the bloody coat God would give a promise Jacob believed the promise but now he's holding a bloody coat I'm sure Jacob probably pulled that coat out from time to time and wept over it and listened and said my son my son we know from the story that he never got over it he grieved I read to you in verse number 35 he said I'll go down into the grave mourning for my son this has impacted him and listen to me, child of God, if we've ever seen a day that the devil is giving us bloody coats, it is today. Jacob began to believe what he saw. And may I say, you and I are going to see a lot of things that we can't believe. Hey, listen, I'm preaching this morning on things are not always as they appear. Things are not always as they appear. And when we look at today, listen, I'm getting the privilege uh, slowly to preach out more and be more places and I'm going to tell you what I see everywhere I go 
Churches are discouraged. Preachers are discouraged. Christians are discouraged. They're discouraged about the state of our politics. They're discouraged, discouraged about the state of our nation. They're discouraged about COVID and what's gone on. And, and our churches, I've heard, I can't tell you from some great men, if I called their name, you would know them. And they've said to me privately, Brother Brian, I fear our churches will never be the same. I fear they've forever altered our churches. I fear there's people that's left that's never coming back. I fear that there's people that'll watch live stream from now on and will never ever sat in church again. Hey, listen, we've got fears and we've got concerns, but can I tell you today, that's what the devil wants. He wants to get your focus. Jacob's focus went from a promise that God had gave to a bloody coat that's in his hands. When you look at that, I'm saying to you and I, the devil is going to lay some bloody coats in our lap. There's people here today, the devil's convinced you your home ain't going to make it. Your marriage is not going to make it. Yet God promises every marriage can make it if we'll just do what he says. There's, there's preachers all across this country that's convinced their church is going to fold up and they're not going to make it when Jesus has already said that there's victory in him. There's parents today that are convinced that their children are never going to be saved or never get right with God because the devil's laid a bloody coat in their life. There's people that think their jobs are never going to come back or those bills are never going to be paid or that problem's never going to be solved or that doctor's prognosis is never going to get fixed I'm simply saying to you and I today that the devil is great about throwing a bloody coat in our lap when we're hanging on to a promise when the Lord gave verses for March our church was shut down from the second week of March we went completely live stream I started doing a devotion every day through Facebook live and we did some other things but we were shut down from the second week of March all the way to the second week of June before we had our first service back and then it was every other pew and social distancing and mask and whole nine yards and in that time and then I'd already prayed and God said the last Sunday in June I didn't want to show up first service say by the way y'all I'm leaving so the Lord said the last Sunday in June is when you're going to tell your church. They thought I was going to be there the rest of my life. I thought I was going to be there. I'd moved my elderly parents from Oklahoma, where my dad's from and all his family's from and my mom's family's from. I'd moved them to Abingdon, Virginia to take care of them and provide for them. And I knew I was going to have to tell them and tell the church. And, and I'm telling you, listen, we knew by April God would give promises and, and told us everything's going to be okay. And I knew the end of June I had to tell the church. And I'm just saying to you that when I told the church and, and then July the 19th with our last service God let us put in a man I recommended my last act as pastor was voting him in on a Sunday morning 100% by private ballot you know God's in it when Baptists all agree amen <laughs> we baptized seven that morning church I mean we were just tremendous I can't tell you the times I said I'm an idiot what am I doing why am I leaving my wife would look at me and say Brian our dreams are right here but in our heart, God was saying, step down and trust me. Step down and trust me. I preached a minimum five, six times a week of my life. I have done that for years in ministry. We had chapel every day at our, at our church with school and other things. And I preached out a lot. And I preached conferences and camp meetings and revivals and mission conferences and marriage things and, and, and RU conferences and just on and on I could go. I was preaching all the time. We had staff devotions every morning if I was there and wanted to do those and when I stepped down July the 19th and July the 20th that afternoon, we, uh, a, a man in my church that owned a trucking company had already sent our stuff up there. And when we started making that drive to Michigan, 
God had already told me for the next two months, don't do nothing. Just be a husband to your wife, daddy to the kids. I didn't ask for no meetings. I didn't call nobody. I didn't take no meetings. I went from preaching, from being pastor, from being, quote unquote, if I can use this word, important. The preacher saying, what are you doing? I got accused of, I must have messed up with a woman. That's why I stepped down. I didn't mess up with no woman. I'd done nothing. I was just following God. I wasn't disqualified. I wasn't discouraged. He must have been depressed. I was happier than I'd ever been. And I can tell you, as July turned into August and I sat in a pew after preaching, Sundays went from being so busy and prepared and counseling in between services and meeting someone before and talking to people after and seeing people saved and, and to just sitting in a pew. The devil threw that bloody coat in my lap. Said, you're washed up, you're done. You'll never be used again. Hey, maybe that ain't happened to you, but I'm telling you it's a real thing. When you're hanging on to a promise for the devil to throw a bloody coat in your life. That's what happened to Jacob. May I say, God is trying to say to us, we don't have to believe what we see. We need to believe what God says. You can't believe everything you see. We ought to know that. But spiritually, we need to understand what God says is way more important than what we can see. When we look around, it looks as if the devil's winning, but we know he's not going to. When it looks around, it looks like the church is being defeated, but we know that's not the case. And in your life, you may look at your life and you may see that bloody coat. And I'm just saying, listen, all those years... Basically, Jacob's life has stopped. He's grieving. He's living with a bloody coat. You couldn't convince him that Joseph was alive. All the way in Genesis chapter number 45 and verses 26 through 28, when those brothers, after Joseph reveals himself to them, and those brothers come back to Jacob, and Joseph sends provisions on wagons. When those brothers come to Jacob, they say, Daddy, Joseph's alive, and he's ruler over Egypt. Daddy didn't believe him. The Bible Jacob said, that the Bible said he wouldn't believe him. I'm saying, listen, he was so convinced that what he had in that bloody coat, he would not believe the promise that God had given him long before the coat. What are you focused on this morning? Are you focused on the promises of God in your life? Or the bloody coat the devil's made sure that you've concocted a real story? Ain't we good? As a pa Pastors are horrible. This one probably ain't. I was. Someone's not there for a service or two that's always there. And then you try to call them and you can't reach them. Oh no, they've left. You start running through your mind. What I preached? Did I say anything controversial? Anything that would affect them? Did they get mad at this or that? Oh, you know what? The youth pastor had to talk to their teenager. And you know how parents get with their kids. And, and I bet you they've... We, the devil don't have to give you a story. All he's got to do is get you focused on a bloody coat. We make up our own stories. And we get ourselves so, don't tell, don't, y'all don't look so spiritual. Y'all left your angel wings and your halos out there, right? At the coat rack. Hey, you're standing talking to someone over here and you happen to look up and a brother over there is talking to someone and they're looking right at you while they're talking. You know what you're saying? What are they saying about me? I ain't done nothing to them. What's their problem? I tell you, I know what they did last week. They messed with me, bless God, too much. I'll just go tell so-and-so on them. And they're sitting there talking about how much they love Jesus. 
Y'all know I'm telling it right. You know, you, you, you see, uh, just, just recently my daughter who's in college, I'm very protective of my daughter. I think she's beautiful. Many other people, apparently a lot of guys in college think she's beautiful too. And, uh, and so my daughter's talking to me on the phone and she mentions this guy and she, she keeps on talking. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back. And by, 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 well, she's talking in my mind. I've already got old Mo. This, this guy, I, I knew the name. I knew he, I wasn't interested. I knew I, I wasn't interested in him talking to my daughter, whether she was interested or not. And I knew he wasn't the one for her, whether she knew that or not. And I didn't like the, the guy. And I'm already, I'm already getting mad in my heart, dreaming up what he's trying to do and what she must be doing behind my back. And finally, she gets done talking. I said, whoa, 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 let's go back to the... She said, oh, I told, I've already told him off, Daddy. That whole story, I have, was none of it. You understand what I'm saying? God gives us promises. The devil throws us a bloody coat. And before we get too mad at Jacob, it's a whole lot easier to believe what you can see in your hand and what looks real than sometimes it is to believe a promise that you're literally hanging on to nothing with. But God said without faith... It's impossible to please him. You can have a prayer life, go to church, give, be a good Christian. But God said, if you don't believe, if you don't have faith, you can't please me. You know what's sad? The same boys that handed him the bloody coat that he believed. The same boys in Genesis 45 tell him, Joseph's alive and he don't believe them. He was willing to believe a lie quicker than he was the truth. Can I say that's true of us? And you know what I have found, if we're going to be honest? Sometimes it seems easier to believe what the devil's telling us than to believe what God's telling us. What do you got your eyes on this morning? I want you to notice, lastly, not only do I see the, the, the promise that's made and the proof that's manipulated, but notice the person or the power that's manifested and I'm done. In Genesis chapter number 46 and verse number 4, it's an interesting verse. Jacob's having a hard time believing. Even after he tells the boys, okay, my son's alive, I'm going to go. There's still apparently some doubt in his heart because in Genesis 46, God starts talking to Jacob. And God says to Jacob, you're going to see your son. And here's the statement that I love. And God said, when you see him, Joseph's going to put his hand on your eyes. Can you think about that a minute? Why would, why would God make that statement? You want to know why? Because for years, Jacob had his eyes on a bloody coat. For years, Jacob had his eyes weeping and crying and grieving every day over what he thought was reality and over what he thought was going on with his son. And in the meantime, while Jacob is ruining his life and living a defeated, depressed life, God is working out the promise that he gave a 17-year-old boy and gave a daddy way back then. And may I say, child of God, the Bible said when Joseph does meet Jacob that he put his eyes on his hands on his eyes and God is saying what you need to do is get your eyes open and you need to understand that it's more to what you can see it's what I've promised and if God makes us a promise it don't matter how bad it looks how desperate it gets we can believe what God has said and eventually our eyes will be open and God will touch us and the power of God will come in our life and we'll be able to see with our eyes what we couldn't understand with a promise just think of the years Jacob wasted just think of the horrible life he had to live. 
when he could have just believed a promise. Let me give you this and I'm done. I don't know if, I don't have a lot of good illustrations about me. I've just had to learn everything the hard way. I could give many, but I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. I'd not been there long, and one of our preachers come to me and said, Missionary, we've learned of a lost tribe. Now, when I say Papua New Guinea, we wasn't in what they called Little America area. We were, we were in an area where there was no other Baptist church starting one. And, 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 and one of my preachers said, we've got a, there's another area on another island. We were on an island as well. And they said, there's another island, and there's a tribe, a lost tribe. A lost tribe means they didn't know the name of their country. They didn't know the capital. They didn't know what an American was, a Papua New Guinea was. They didn't know what clothes were, what, a, what, what shoes or anything. I mean, completely primitive. And there were several of them still around. And so the, 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 he said, we, we ought, we're going to go in and preach to them. Why don't you come? We had led a chief to the Lord on that island. I hadn't, but those preachers had. And he had started to work there in the village. And they said, we can go to him. And it's about a three-day trek in the jungle. And, and he'll get us to him. And, and you can, I didn't know the language yet, but he said, you can preach in English. We'll translate in the pigeon, which translate in the tribal language. And then hopefully they can translate in a language in this tribe that would be compatible. I said, I was young. I said, okay. So they said there's no, we literally landed a little old plane on a grass and sandy strip right by the ocean. Took a truck drive in about seven hours into the village that we knew. And then had about a three-day trek into the jungle. I thought I was in shape. I was young back then and was in much better shape, so I thought, then than I am now. And so they said, you know, you have to have, we're going to have to sleep in, just on the floor. They just crawled up in trees and laid out in trees and slept across the branches. I can't do that. I'd have fell and broke my full neck. So I had a little pad that I rolled up and had a small pup tent and I had water and had food and this and that. That thing was 40 kilos. That was over 80 pounds. I said, I can handle this. Papua New Guinea weather is about 130 degrees. Very humid. So I had, my, I had everything. We started that, uh, started that trek and after a couple hours I was panting and I was wore out. And the guy said, here, we'll carry it a little bit. And then they got heavy for them. And before long, I started dumping stuff that I didn't think I needed. About a day and a half into that trek, we come across another tribe we didn't even know that was a lost tribe. And I don't have time to get into all the specifics, but they'd never seen a white man. And there are shorter people. And so when I walked into that village, I mean, they scattered. It looked like when a cat walks in and mice just go running. And then slowly the little kids come out and they were calling me the moon, you know, because I was white. And, and so uh, I'd touch them and and, and mess with them. And, and finally, we got to talking to the chief. And, and, and the chief said, hey, we don't want you to go to the other tribe. Stay with us a little bit and tell us about this Jesus and this gospel. And man, that's, that's music to a preacher's ears. And there was a hundred something people in that village. And they said, sure, so we're going to send out. There's other villages you don't know about. We're going to send messengers and runners out to them. And we'll have them all tonight. We'll have a big meeting. And they don't get in a hurry. And if you don't preach an hour and a half, two hours over there, they don't think you've done anything because it's took them that long to get there. So I said, we're going to have a big meeting. You can preach all night. Take your time. Tell us about this, Jeff. I said, this is great. So I said, we'll serve you lunch. I said, that's not so great. Because you never know what you're going to eat. They eat bark and worms and spiders. And, and you would offend them. So I said, okay. So they cooked some meal. And, and it was a soup. And I grabbed it and started using a piece of a bark for, for a spoon. And I tasted something crunchy. Well, I knew what that was immediately. That was a spider that they'd 
cooked on rocks and threw in there for protein. Got some other thing, and I was just, so I'm thinking, okay. Well, and the reason I tell you that is I told myself, I'm going to rest, and then I'll be ready for tonight, pray. And as the afternoon wore on, I got so deathly sick, I didn't think I was going to live. And I just knew I'd ate a poisonous spider or a grub worm or something in that soup. It's going to kill me. I couldn't walk. I couldn't think. I couldn't see. I couldn't stand up straight. And my preacher boy said, Missionary, we got to get you out of here. I said, no, I'm not getting out of here. We got people coming from all over. And we're going to be able to see them saved and preach the gospel. And in my mind thinking, man, what a prayer letter this is going to be. Amen. And this is going to be great. The afternoon wore on and I got, I got deathly sick. And they said, we got to get you out of here. So with a heavy heart. We walked out a certain way, a different way than we come in. And I'll be honest with you, I was grumbling. Just to be honest, I was angry at God. Because I believe my theology that nothing happens in your life that God don't author or allow. So I'm saying, God, you could have kept me from getting sick. God, there's people that's going to die and go to hell. And I had the privilege that was, we was going to preach to them. And God, now I'm having to go out. And I'm in my heart, I'm angry. I know y'all have never done that. And we got about 30 minutes, maybe an hour out of the village. And every symptom I had disappeared immediately. Just gone. It was, it was, it was so sudden and shocking, I stopped. It startled me. And I told my preachers, I said, you want to go back? I said, no, just in case it comes back, we better go on out. But I'm grumbling inside. We walk all that night. The next morning, pastor, we get, uh, we get the next morning, it's around six o'clock in the morning. The chief of the village that we had stayed at that I told you about comes running up to us. You're alive, you're alive, you're alive. We said, what do you mean you're alive? Now, let me tell you the story. Back it up now, what was going on. When we got there and we told him we knew Jesus and we wanted to tell him about God, the medicine man, the witch doctor, who's more powerful than a chief in any of them villages, Satan got a hold of his heart and he said, no, we don't want no other God here. That will take away my power. We're going to kill him. And he sent out runners himself to all the other villages, to those medicine men and witch doctors and said, get you some warriors, surround the village. And at night, the minute they start preaching, we're coming in and kill the white man first and then the others. But kill the white man. I didn't know none of this is going on. So while I'm resting and getting sick, that afternoon warriors are slowly at a distance circling that village waiting for dark. And about an hour before dark, God lets me get sick to get me out of the village to protect me. He's protecting my full neck. And I'm complaining and grumbling and griping the whole way. And when that chief told us what was going on, those other guys were able to rejoice. I had to get on my knees on the ground right there in the jungle with tears in my eyes and say, God, please forgive this fool. I've been grumbling and complaining and angry and the whole time you're just trying to save my life. I'm saying to you and I, listen, the devil will throw you a bloody coat. God's give you promises and you've got a choice. Church, he don't want, God don't want us discouraged and defeated and down and living with a bloody coat. He wants us living in victory of the promises that he's given us. Don't let the devil steal your promises. Things are not always as they appear. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning, I want to ask you. By the way, if you're here lost, the devil's thrown you a bloody coat. Here's how it goes. Well, God won't save someone like you. Or you've committed such and such sin and he ain't interested in you. God could never forgive you. God could never help you. You could never live the Christian life. He'll throw all kinds of bloody coats. And I want to tell you again, he's a liar. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, can I tell you the Lord says it's real simple. you got to realize you're a sinner. That's not hard for us to do today. You know you sinned. I know you sinned. We've all sinned. Everyone in here sinned. And you got to realize because you're a sinner, there's a penalty for that sin. It's death. It's hell. But the third thing you need to realize is Jesus took that pain and that penalty for sin. And if you'll believe and receive that you're a sinner and that Jesus, you deserve hell, but Jesus took that from you, God will save you today. The devil's going to throw you all kind of bloody coats to get you not to believe that promise. But the Lord doesn't want you to leave here without trusting Christ. But then I wonder how many here would say, Preacher, I'm saved and I've had promises. But I'll be honest with you, I'm hanging on to a bloody coat. And God's dealt with my heart about just trusting him. And, and, and would you pray for me? Hands up. Hand, just put hands up all over. God bless you. Just put them up. I don't know your names, but God does. I'm going to let the pastor give the invitation because he knows how to do it way better for y'all and how you operate here versus me. But can I just challenge you today? Throw the bloody coat away. Don't spend another second hanging on to it. And then I wonder before I turn it over to the pastor, if you'd say, preacher, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. If I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. Could I just see your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you out. But preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up? Father, you see the hands. Lord, I don't want to just fill a space or a time slot. I want to make a difference in this church and encourage your people. God, we've had an unusual year, almost year and couple months now. Lord, what I know is you're still in charge and in control. And I pray that the Spirit of God would deal with hearts today. And those that are discouraged, down, defeated, may you use the message to encourage them. Many hands went up. And if there be one lost, I pray you deal with them. Give the pastor wisdom during the invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, preacher, you come. With our heads bowed still, continued bowed. And I know we don't. And having done this in a few months of just opening the uh, altar up. But perhaps this morning, there's something that God's brought to your mind. Of something you've had your eyes on that's been discouraging you from believing the promises of God. Something that's taking your eyes off of God and putting them on something else. Something that's got you discouraged today. And I just want to open the altar up. As a piano plays, perhaps there's, there's a moment in your heart here now where you'd like to take time and just be at the altar. Well, I want to open up the altar. And if that's something that God's laid on your heart, you say, there's just something I, I've got my eyes on and I just need to believe the promises of God today. 
If that's your decision, I want to invite you to come down to the altar. Leave it here at the altar. I'm going to take a ton of time, but I've learned that if the Holy Spirit is speaking, just obey that impulse. Just take a few minutes and come and, and say, God, would you just help me to get my eyes back on your promises? Get them off of that bloody coat in my life and get them on that promise again. Perhaps you're here this morning and as Brother Brian was saying, perhaps you're here, you're saying, you know what, uh, Pastor Jeremy, I, I've got to be honest. I can't think of a time in my life where I've ever accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. been to church and maybe I know a little bit about the Bible but I I can tell you that I, I can't think of a time where I've ever asked him to be my savior to forgive me of my sin and I'd like to make that decision this morning would you pray for me is there anyone like that would raise your hand I'm not going to embarrass you just want to just want to give you an opportunity perhaps you're here this morning and say I I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. I'd like to make that decision today. I believe this message was timely for us this morning. It seems like this past year has been a lot of Satan putting bloody coats in our laps but this could be a defining Sunday to change that in our life not just personally you and I but as a church I pray that God would use this message as we start a new year to make it a new year of promise Father this morning your word has been given. And you've spoken to hearts this morning. I pray that we would, in our reception of your word, be willing now to follow through. Yes, Father, the decision has been made by many, by myself this morning, to get our eyes off of that which is a lie, to get them back on that which is the truth. Help us to be faithful in doing this now, Father, throughout this week. Even as Pastor said, that there's, there's times where it doesn't seem like it's so real. Help us to have faith to overcome. Help us to have faith to believe that what you have promised is the truth. And that what we are seeing is something we cannot believe. Help us to get our eyes and keep our eyes on your promises. The promises of your provision. The promises of your protection. The promises of your love. I pray that this year would be a year of promises. Promises that we have seen fulfilled by your hand. Give us the faith that we need. Help us to remain faithful to you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.